Welcome to the Digitally Native podcast, a podcast that explores what it means to be digital and to live digital lives. I'm your host, Fungai, and together we will explore a range of topics and trends around digital and social media and digital innovation. So grab a drink, buckle up, and let's get right into it. Hello and welcome to another podcast episode. I hope that you're having a great week so far. Today, my guest is Bonaventure Dussou, and he is a scientist who is working with a very interesting organization called Lelapa AI, which is developing AI solutions in African languages for African audiences. They are working with very interesting um, different products that they're, they're working through. One of them, Vula Vula, which is a transcription tool, which is to help speech to text to hear and write out in local languages and African languages and to convert and to analyze that content, which is obviously going to become more and more important, the more and more AI grows and becomes something that we are constantly using. And as we know, and as I've discussed before, a lot of the data sets and the content that AI is trained on is English. And it is the 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 global internet that obviously leverages English and Western languages over languages of the global majority. So we are talking in this episode about those issues. But also, as I said, Bonaventure is a scientist, and so he has a lot of knowledge around the science of language processing, large language models, and all kinds of things that are quite technical. So this is a quite technical episode, but I'm sure you will enjoy it because it's always, I think, good to know how the back end works. Sometimes we are merely consumers and we do not actually know how the science looks to what we are consuming. So I'll let Bonaventure take it away and I'll catch you on the other side. My name is Bonaventure. Uh, I'm a computer science PhD student at Miguel and at the Miller Quebec Institute. I'm specializing mainly like in NLP for low resource African languages and also healthcare. And NLP is what? For us people who don't know science. Wait. Yeah. So NLP is natural language processing, is technically oh. the branch of computer science and more specifically artificial intelligence, who is mm-hmm invest in trying to teach computers to understand and mimic human human language, understand, process human language, uh, speech, text, all those type of com- means of communication. Yeah. All right. And on the side, I'm also uh, leading some cool research work. I'm a research scientist at Leonopa. All right. And can you tell me a little bit more about Lelapa, how it started and how you've come to be a part of it? Oh, so that is a good question. So, the co-founders of Lilapa, I think I've, I was closer mainly to one of them, Jade, Jade Avod. Uh, so she was also co-founder of uh, Masakani. So I guess the whole history, I think I will say my one back to, to Masakani, which was a grassroots organization that was created to promote NLP for African languages by Africans. So I assume it became vital to some extent to put into products uh, the research that the few African researchers have been leading because it's been a movement going on since uh, Amasakani has been created since I think 2017 or way before but then I think the whole vague of like 
uh, integrating law resource languages in uh, NLP technologies came recently, I think around 2019 or 2020, with more initiative, more like investments into data creations, those type of things. So it is important to actually put research output into products. That's technically how non-technical people who all have to bother about, oh, what does this metric mean? Or like read the whole paper to understand what is it about and mm. who have the ability to witness and to enjoy it in real life, in real time, mm. in real life, the advantage of these technologies. So I was not part of the co-founding team. I was aware of the idea of obviously J talked to me about it. And I joined Lilopa as the first employee. So it's been technically a lot of like, first of all, research work, putting out the African languages, appearing, making them more present online at top NLP and AI conferences. And then I think from there, we need to then find a way to switch to actually put them into production and put them into product that could be useful to everyone. So, mm. so briefly, that's technically how I was in contact with the co-founders, how I joined. The mission of Lilapa is to build language technologies. I don't want to use language models because it's in training term now, but broadly, let's talk about language technologies for African languages. So mm. currently we are building, we're still building a team of like talented researchers and engineers who wants to innovate, not only research-wise, but also sustain, also product-wise, because we need to put into products the fruit of different research, right, to bring some type of added values to and improve people's lives, right? Mm -hmm. So by doing so and taking, knowing the challenges, like because African challenges are different from European challenges, different from like American challenges, so develop a technology that is for us and by us, we more, I'll say, culturally aware. We are more like trying to make those models like context specific and really also resource efficient because you mentioned ChatGPT. It's been trained on like tons, hundreds of GPUs. I don't, nobody actually knows the real number. That is technically a lot that we can't. So, so I'd like to just go back to, you know, something you just said about you, okay. you like to learning technologies or la la language technologies rather than language learning models because that's now you know what we know so you as a scientist having the background before chat gpt and now you know everyone knows large language models because we are in this era what is the difference or what is the nuance between language technologies and these language learning models? Like I said, that is a good question. I think I had to be a little bit technical, but I will try not to be too much. Mm -hmm. So uh, technically, language technology can refer to anything. I maybe, I mean, I assume, just tell me if I'm wrong, you have a Siri, for instance, right? So when mm -hmm. you are saying, hey, Siri, play this music on Spotify. Um, yep. So what, what does, is a system, is a computer mm -hmm. system, so it does not understand the words, right? But how do you transmit, how do you share that information so that it's understanding on its own language and then produces the result back, right? So that is a language technology. When you use Google Translate, then you can translate between any two languages, right? Or more even. Right. That is also a language technology. Now, mm -hmm. large language models, they kind of 
I won't say new, but they came from the 2017 paper called uh, that introduced the Transformers. Attention is all you need. So it became a little bit of trending because the good aspect of things is that those technologies also language technologies, but then they they have some ability to predict the next word, next token in our language, in our like jargon. So for instance, if I'm saying, oh, my name is, so obviously you could learn from the data he's been trained on to, mm-hmm. to know that whatever comes after it might be a name for instance. It cannot be, oh, my name is, for instance, South Africa. It can't be a country, you know, those type of things, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, like I say, is a language, is a model that tries to learn structure of the language and to some extent understand it. And then mm-hmm. the capacities of those models that they can then be adapted in our jargon, fine-tuned to very specific tasks. So you can train a, a huge large language model for us on vast amount of English data sets. And then at the end, fine-tune it to, for it to be specifically good at for us name identity recognition or to be specifically, specifically good at like part of speech tagging. Or things like that. Like good at yeah. what? Part of speech tagging. Okay, what is so that? Instance, yeah, so for instance, is a is on the NLP task a little bit of information retrieval that tries to understand the component of a sentence. So for instance, if I'm saying I am having this podcast with guy, so I will be known, be labeled for us as the subject, and I'm will be known as the verb and things mm-hmm. like that. Now if we are talking about name identity recognition. And I say, for instance, Bona is having a podcast with Mrs. Hongai. Then even if I don't put the message, then it will be able to... By the way, you're making oh. an assumption. Oh, okay. It's just like, usually I don't need so like, it can be doctor. Or like So oh. if even if we don't want to put like any like preface, what if will happen is like, it could be able to say, okay, Bona is the name of a person. Hongai is the name of an, a person. Then if mm. we are we put like that for instance, we are having the podcast at like Mila, where I am currently, is gonna recognize Mila as a, as an organization. So understanding different aspects of the language of sentences. And yeah, so technically that is the difference. So like language technology is being a little bit more broad. For instance, yeah. like spell checkers are also language technologies. Like when you actually write on your on your, your for instance, your phone. How does it mm. know actually the correct way or like how does it give you the predictions? Like for instance, if I want to write, yeah, I am I am sick and then I, I write I am X maybe C I K. How does it actually know? Oh, actually you are referring to C actually, not to what you wrote. So there are many aspects of it that are language technologies and I think LLMs are part of the language technologies. But then they became very good at predicting the next word and like also having some very good, they call the emergent capabilities. So technically, yeah. It's easy. Yes. Mm-hmm. So very huge, large language model can do things beyond what they were trained to do for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, take, yeah. So for instance, let's say if you think you're a very huge large language model, I would talk about a concept that is called in context learning. So I was talking to you a little bit earlier about the fact that we have a language model. Technically, we need to fine tune it on a given data set, but we mm. 
very huge large language model and the idea of the in-complex language mod, uh, modeling, you just don't need to do that. You just need to tell them, okay, translate or perform this task for me. So here, for instance, they read entirely, maybe trained on like English, but then mm -hmm. you tell the instruction will be translate this sentence from English maybe to Isizulu. That is mm -hmm. the task. You give them two, three examples like, okay, English and then the corresponding in like this is and so on, one or two or three. And they are just going to be good at generating good, I mean, not good because after you need to analyze it. And we've done actually a survey, not a survey, but a research at Lilapa that showed that some chat GPT competitors or predecessors like GPT 3.5 were not good at all at translating into African languages. So that's other works, right? But then technically they can actually mimic that behavior without actually being fine-tuned or like adapted the way they were supposed to things like on the data set. Or you would have How not do they mimic if they don't have if 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 I'm understanding correctly, if the data set is all English yeah. that the system is fed and then you ask it to perform a non-English task, how can it mimic that task if it doesn't have any data sets that are non-English? That is a good question. I think there are a lot of papers around it. I am not really diving into that aspect, into that oh. research area topic, so I, I can't answer that much well. But mm -hmm. a lot of speculation comes from the fact that they've been trained on vast amount of like data. So it might not even be only English. It might be just like us, maybe two, three, four Western languages. But, you know, that's why they are called like emerging capabilities. Like nobody actually understands how and why they are able wow. to do this. And oh, for wow. instance, like you see people sometimes like asking for a chat GPT, maybe just inserting a picture or a screenshot of the website. And then it will, and then like it will be able to output actually a whole PHP and HTML a script that will be that if you copy and paste, I haven't tried. But to some extent, it's true. To to another extent, you shouldn't completely believe or trust. So you should adapt what you need to adapt. But it still could be able to like provide you very coherent code sources, and like it ha is also integrated in tools. Like for instance, Grammarly is using ChatGPT. Um, ah, yes. So the autocorrection is actually a ChatGPT powered application. There's also Microsoft Pilots or GitHub Copilot, something like that, that does code auto-completion. So you just start, it actually create whatever the function you want to write, the description of the parameters and everything. Obviously, then you can modify it. But then like right. that's the thing all the stuff. So yeah, that's technically why they are now very famous because they have those capabilities that people are still trying to understand. They can predict the next token, do it like in an auto-regressive way, other stuff of things. So people are like, oh, maybe they actually achieve consciousness. Maybe they actually understand human languages. And then a part would be like, no, they are far from understanding human language. Another part would be like, yes, but how do they do this if they don't? So mm -hmm. it's actually that's where the whole conversation of going and like people are coming with papers, theories, ideas. So it's a whole thing going on, but basically that's what I can I can I can uh, say about the 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 topic, if you make. All right. Yep. And now to zero in a little bit more on what Lelapa does. I know there's Vula Vula, which is one of your language learning yeah. mod. 
which is offering African languages. And, and we've talked a little bit about how models like ChatGPT do not do well in non-English and then non-Western languages at all. So you are offering this product in Zulu, Afrikaans, Sesotho, and South African English. Why was it important for you to to do this work as a LAPA AI? Personally, I think it's a matter of like where the company is registered and based because all the co-founders are based, South African is based in South Africa. And mm-hmm. like also part of another good part of the team also based in South Africa. So I assume mm-hmm. it came from that idea of basically, first of all, trying to satisfy local needs, right? Bring right. local values before trying to sort of like make yourself your home better before trying to make someone's home better. And, you know, like because it's actually a startup, still a startup, it could also be a way of like bringing more like validation to the company and bringing more clients, all those type of things. Mm. So I think that's mainly the, the that's the, the, the main reason. Right. Um, started from South African languages. Right now, I find this really interesting, South African English. What exactly, I mean, I don't know if you then have the nuance not being yourself South African, but what exactly do they mean by South African South African English versus just English? I think it has to do, like you say, I'm not a South African, so I can't really understand. But some intuition about some work I've done in the space might be related with the accent. Like the same way for us as you can say Nigerian English, the accent that we Nigerians speak English if we don't want to talk about pigeon. It's different. Mm. The same way like Americans speak English, not the same way British speak English. So right. um, obviously the same English, but then they are like they, it comes with a lot of connotation, comes with a lot of like accents, also some mm. like, intrinsic words that are proper to that specific type of English. Mm. And that makes it like something that is very appropriate to South Africans. So that's what I can briefly say about it. So, so the the way one speaks, the intonation, the accent, mm-hmm. and some words that just look in that specific yeah. context. Mm-hmm. All right, got that. Now, can you tell me a little bit more about how Lelapa AI is working with linguists and local communities to expand the work and outputs? I know, obviously, you know, we're talking about technology, but technology starts with people, and so you know, the people who actually help to build the language model are people who speak the languages. So how exactly do you work with these linguists to get, you know, enough data sets or to refine your data sets and then get the actual language model working as efficiently as possible? I would describe that collaboration as a hand-in-hand collaboration. So we have native speakers and also who are linguists, but not just native speakers, not just language people actually who study linguistics so who actually mm-hmm. studied the languages who can say okay there is this like surface for instance i think we had a lot of decades for zulu for instance or the you or things like that no surface these are prefaces that put together or puts before a name or a noun changes the whole meaning of mm. everything that comes after so we have a hand-to-hand hand-in-hand like collaboration with them in a way that for those languages that we don't understand, for instance, except English, I want to say, we have them, for instance, looking at the output of what the models that we build. 
right? Mm-hmm. So there's a kind of like automatic part where they rebuild those technologies on different data sets. Also, like when needed, then we have, we reach out to data set holders or builders or people having this community with their uh, human capacities to build those good quality data sets. And then we have some partnership with them, you know, so that it could be also a win-win for everyone. And then when those languages, those models are built, what we do is technically we circle back to the language and build out okay, so for instance, this was the the outreach or like the result of the previous like work that we've done on this model for this language. This is a new iteration because we try to to, to take into consideration your uh, previous feedback and like previous like insight. So now this is for a new version. Can you actually tell us whether it does better? Can you tell us why it fails? Do you have any intuition why it actually fails? So that we actually can understand a little bit what is happening, why is it behaving the way it is behaving, it is behaving, and how actually we can come up with more innovative solutions to bypass those, not bypass, but to tackle those challenges. So that's how we describe the whole collaboration with the entire community of stakeholders, data set builders or data set owners, our language, native speakers, and everybody. So how does it work? Because, you know, most language models, well, I mean, chat GPT, let's just use that. That's the one most of us know is scraping data from the internet and, you know, building its knowledge from that. So where do these data sets come from if they are not non-English or Zulu or Sesotho data sets to scrape the internet? Well, I mean, I, I'm sure you can find some things on online, but I wouldn't expect them to be very many. So wh- where do you generate these data sets from? That's a good question. And I think a lot of those data sets, for instance, have been built and are still being built for us by the Massacanic community. For instance, personally, I've built a machine translation data set for my native language. Then we are standing in like with... And many projects, so like extend not only general domain, but maybe news domain translation, the asset that we worked on, like we, we like worked on like cross-lingual, for instance, question and answering in African languages that we work with people, with language speakers, autochthons, uh, languages to actually build those data sets. We also build data set about uh, name entity recognition, we build data set about power speech tagging, also, ESR, automatic speech recognition, there's a lot of work, even doing like small chunk oh, data sets, you know. So it's actually a little bit of like community effort that coming together and build those like this, for instance, common voice. And over there, I think we have, if I'm not mistaken, Swahili, we have Isizulu, there's, there actually, there are many, not many, but I also acknowledge they have, they are unknown. If you don't, you are not part of the first of the Massacre community right now, you know, there are not as many as it should be, as many as the forces that we could easily find English data. But then those are initiatives that took part in the past that I led, that Jane led, and the other African researchers led. Those data sets are out there, at least to serve as a like, proof of concept and like, a starting base. And then there are, are more and more and more initiatives with the salt. Hopefully, mm. more governments are investing or like providing grants, organization providing grants for people not just to 
uh, spend their time volunteering, but also maybe to have some type of monetary gain out of it, you know. So all mm. of that is put together and then is like helping the ecosystem of data set for different linguistic applications to grow a little bit step by step. So do you ever have instances where you actually record the data sets? I mean, like where you record data to 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 add to the data set, like where you actually maybe sit with linguists or something or just people who are native speakers have them have conversations and then somehow you you use that or you add that to the data sets that you're, you're working with. Yeah, uh, I personally did. I'm sure everyone did in his research journey at some point. And yeah, we are also doing it. We also did it and we're looking forward to expand it like at Lidlapa, for instance. Mm-hmm. So generating our own data, given our own clients, given our own research interests, given the own problem that the, our very own problem that we want to solve. Okay. And um, I think this is quite a technical episode, so some people might not be entirely able to follow, but then, you know, from from my understanding, you know, once you have the data sets, you work with algorithms, right? To sort of, you know, to, to, to manage whatever the output is expected from, you know, whatever the task is. Can you, can you tell us, as unscientifically as you can, <laughs> which I know is going to be hard because you're a scientist, but how how do we move from the data sets to working with the algorithm to the final output? Let's say it's a you know predictive text, or actually, let's just say what with what you're doing with Vula Vula, where it now is able to give me responses in Zulu. How how do we move from the data set to the algorithm to the final output? Okay, so that is actually a very good question. Um, so we can take just, for instance, a simple task, which is, I'll say, maybe sentiment analysis. Mm-hmm. So what I'm going to describe will apply to any like actual process. I think mm-hmm. it can apply in the majority of cases. So let's say we want to like do want to work on like sentiment analysis. So that is technically a task where given an input, let's say like it can be a re- movie review, technically a test input. We want to have maybe the sentiment that was expressed. So like maybe you were speaking with a friend and you were saying, oh, I went and see Fast X last time and it was very, very, very bad. I didn't like it at all. So whatever you're expressing by like is related to like a negative review, for instance, right? Uh, but on the opposite, if you're saying, oh, I like how Van Diesel, like, with his son at the end of the movie, uh, he saved him from the, the wild or big fire. I uh, like how, actually, they, they did the end animation and how, like, the road end, uh, like, came in and it made me excited about, oh, potentially there's definitely a need, you know, the, like, second part of Fax S, you know, brings excitement, happiness, and everything. So, yeah. technically... You can consider the input as wherever I just described the test, the contest, and then the output is like that sentiment, like excitement, uh, happiness, sadness. Not, like you can also be neutral, right? You can be anxious, you can be fearful, all those type of things. So we assume that you have, you've already analyzed everything and then you have for each type of sentiment that you want to identify for instance, that you are, you have the data, for instance, you worked on building the data set for those, right? 
So what happens then will be for me from the data, which is in as far as a text format to the model, the first thing could be that will be done will be for instance what we call data preprocessing. That is where you remove like, oh, I maybe want if it's a proof of concept, for instance, I would like to have like my reviews not too long or but also not too short, you know. So those different things actually to bring into context like what actually you want to achieve. Because mm-hmm. like if you have a review of a single word, what does that tell you? It doesn't tell you anything as opposed to the review of someone who actually expressed probably his thought and then you could understand more from it, you know. So maybe you want to discard whatever review is like made of only a single word, but then focus on the ones that are actually made of many words, but not too much, you know. So that is like, for instance, the preprocessing aspect of things where you do that. Now, there is a part what we call tokenization. The tokenization is taking the putting words into tokens. You can imagine it as a kind of dictionary mapping a word to an index or like to an integer. So for mm. instance, let's say I have a dictionary of like five words. I, which is going to be mapped as maybe one, but eventually which is going to be mapped as two names which is going to be mapped as three and so on, right? So if I say my name is Bonaventure, then I'm going to replace each of those by the corresponding mapped integers. So like one, three, two, and so on. So I'm going to create an array of numbers because that's what computers understand. Mm. And when that is done, then you can also do a lot of bunch of things. Like we talked about, for instance, padding. Padding is the case where, for instance, is also sometimes very important because let's say you want to be you target for instance reviews that at least have three words and then mm-hmm. the maximum are reviews that have hundred words, but then you are with a sentence that has I don't know 70 words. So mm-hmm. there's 30 missing. So for some structural reasons, you is ideally that you pad, like you add some like specific token to the 70 words. So that it actually reaches the 100 maximum. But then that token is also something that is going to be learned by the model to be like, okay, actually, I actually have already the end of my sentence, but whatever is there is actually padding token that allows me to reach the maximum length that I, I need. So I should, learn, I should learn not to understand them and not necessarily take them as like specific own words, you know, if it makes sense. So this and, is machine learning, basically. That- the, is that is that what we are saying now? Is that you know like yeah, the way that is technically the process that I'm describing, like from the data, how you transform it and everything, and then mm-hmm. how you feed it to the model. Now, the model it's it we can take days, years to talk about it. It depends. Mm-hmm. There are many models. You could use a simple like convolutional networks. You can use a simple transformer. The, the very actually different model. You can start by simple also bag of words and things like that. So then, like, at that stage, is already now, like, a modeling choice. So it could be, that part is usually biased towards, oh, what is currently maybe the trend, or what I have tried in previous contests or similar contests that work. So that's technically where you start from. It's, mm. and then, like, improve or change. And then there are, like, things that we call hyperparameters. So we, when we are talking about machine learning, technically what we are, learning is a, a we are technically learning two things so if you how am i going to pull it 
So let's say that we have, for instance, an equation, which is like y force is equal to ax plus b. That is, in a nutshell, that is technically everything that is happening. So given an input, you want here your output is x, right? So you just mm -hmm. know your x. So you want to learn the coefficient a and b that will give you the most probable y, which is the target. So mm -hmm. if it's like a classification task, you already know what the y is, right? But then because you are training your model, you are training such that it gets as close as possible to the real y, the real target. So then for that, there are many optimization functions. There are many loss functions that actually allow to minimize the error that the model is doing as, as the process of the learning goes, right? Like through different steps or, and, or epochs, then the losses reduces and, and there are many other approaches. Like sometimes the model might learn, actually not learn, but something similar to cramming. So mm -hmm. it, it specializes exactly to that data sets and it fails to generalize. So if you give it something different, it's going to fail. But then you can hardly be extremely good for assess on during the training process. That is where, for instance, what we call validation data set comes in. So it acts a little bit as like, oh, this is meds. This is a lot of meds. <laughs> wow. Validate. You said validation. Yeah. So we have training set. We have validation set. We have testing. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. testing is technically you can consider it as like the the set, the data set you don't have access to. So it might be actually things that other people outside. So for instance, in the wild, you guys who are trying Vula Vula are a type of our test set. So we don't actually know we can encounter anything. But then mm -hmm. the validation set is hopefully, like the ideal validation set is good enough to be close enough to the testing set. And mm -hmm. it is on that validation now that you learn to select the best parameter of your model that guarantees you that, okay, if I put this model out there and I test it on various, on, on a wide range of like, of mm -hmm. testing examples, it's mm -hmm. going to perform relatively this way or relatively this way. So... Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things, so like for instance, to stop the cramming or like to stop the model overfitting because that's that's the tech the, the technical term overfitting. So it's doing extremely well on the training set, but is doing a poor job on the on the validation set. So you are guaranteed to some extent that it's going to spectacularly fail on your testing set. So mm. that's technically a lot of things that they like. You can bring in regularizations that. Obviously, like you were saying, you mentioned brings in a lot of maths. Mm -hmm. Things actually that are powered behind like mathematics regularizations using high dimensional spaces and like norms. There's there are also what we call early stopping, which is in some sense also a type of regularization. There's mm -hmm. like dropout. So there are many actually or like normalization, standardization of the data or like the component of the model to reduce the variance, you know, and to improve the, the speed of convergence and all those types of things. So, and yeah, so technically everything that happens in, but that is where the model is. And then you have some out. So remember I was telling you at the, at the beginning that we convert the words into integers. 
So whatever comes out of your body are what? also integers. Integers. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. just take it back to math. What are integers again in math? <laughs> uh, so those are just like real numbers, like one, two, three, four, five, but not yeah. negative. Ah, okay. So, 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 From one yeah. onward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, so for instance, let's say that we have, for instance, four targets. Like, I want to have like four sentiments, happiness, sadness. Yeah. I'm neutral and I'm also like anxious. So mm. then those are labeled like respectively, for instance, like one, two, three, and four. Actually, it's not like that. We usually start by zero, but mm-hmm. just in like in a way that we understand each other, just know that they are going to be labeled like one, two, three, four. So for instance, after the whole process I've just explained from the data to the model, we have a single output that is mm-hmm. either going to be zero, one, and one, two, three, or four. Mm-hmm. So now given that, we convert it then back using the, the tokenizer and the vocabulary that was predefined in the beginning to know mm-hmm. actually, okay, this is actually what the model has predicted. So in an actual, that is way more complicated than that because mm-hmm. a lot of things comes in, a lot of mm-hmm. maths, a lot of like innovation coming. But then in a nutshell, there's technically what happens. You have the device and you prepare it. You know the task you want to work on. So for instance, if we are talking about blah, 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 we are doing also like transcription. So mm-hmm. in transcription, the input is actually a voice. So like whatever I'm saying now, the model should learn to transcribe them exactly, but in test. Mm-hmm. Something like that. So, mm-hmm. and is the... I would say roughly the same process, like from the pre-processing, the tokenizations and everything. Let me say the same steps, but the process is different because the way you treat all your input is not the same way you are going to treat a text input. It's also mm-hmm. not the same way you are going to treat a video or image. So mm-hmm. depending on the various application, you know, what is your input? What is your target? What do you mm-hmm. want to have as character? And consequently, you have the data set and then you proceed with the modeling aspect of things. Yeah, so that is, I hope it was not too technical, but in a nutshell, that's technically what is happening. Quite technical, quite technical. I'm still wrapping my head around it all, but then I think um, we're sort of getting there. All right, that brings us to the end of this episode. I hope that you've gotten something of interest out of it. As always, if you have anything further that you'd like to share, you can send an email to info at digitallynativepodcast.com or else you can send a shout out via Twitter at Native Podcast or directly to me at Fungai Just being. Do try out some of the tools that Lelapa AI is putting out. You can find them online at lelapa.ai and there you can try out Vula Vula, which as I said in the beginning is their it's their transcription service into non-English, well English and non-English languages. So if you're conversant at all in Afrikaans, Zulu and Sisutu, why not give it a try and see what you get out of that? And let me know how that goes for you. And let me know if you have any further thoughts. As always, if you have any particular areas of interest that you'd like this podcast to cover. And I, again, stress this is a podcast that looks at digital issues from an African standpoint. So if you have anything that's fitting within that ambit, do send 
any kind of communication around that to the communication channels that I've already mentioned and I'll see what I can do. All right. I wish you a good week and I'll catch you the next time. Take care until then. Bye.